Welcome. This is this is exciting. This is connect this. And I nailed it on the first time. You may notice some changes in this episode. Uh, that's because we have upped our game with production, and we still have Rye back there, uh, making sure that uh, we're we're saying the right things and and uh, gonna help us uh, get some comments up live this time in the show. Um, and we also have I want to just start off by thanking um, Henry Holgert who has uh, been on the staff helping us up our video game. You're going to be seeing some really cool videos coming out from ILSR soon. Uh, Henry's been really helping us with that, and he is running the control panel and helped us to, to up, up our game for this show. So I am excited to make sure this doesn't get too professional. That's my job here as Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, uh, run the broadband program at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And we have our strongest recurring cast uh, returning today as we kick off uh, what feels like a new season. It's September, right? So uh, here we are again. Uh, the person laughing there is Doug Dawson. Welcome back, Doug. I just want to say that was such a a professional opening. I almost dropped off. It kind of scared me. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're to lose Doug because it's, it's like, too, what, 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 what am I doing corporate, here? To the man. Very oh, yeah. corporate all of a sudden. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Speaking of corporate, we got Travis Carter, who is the, the head guy in charge of uh, USI Fiber, uh, which used to be US Internet. And uh, maybe we'll, I should have caught that earlier, but uh, USI Fiber, create new branding. Uh, we talked about that before, but uh, welcome back, Travis. Thank you. Where, where have you been? Uh, I've been traveling around a bit. I got to tell you, the Black Hills are amazing. Uh, South they Dakota, are, really, really cool. Hmm. You going yeah. to Sturgis? Are we at the bike rally? Is that what you were doing? I was there just after the bike rally, uh, camping out uh, in the, the the state park, which is like a national park. So, nice. um, incredible out there. Uh, and then we have our our final um, uh, recurring guest, uh, probably the most popular guest, Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. So I have to ask you, Chris, who gets a vacation um, like right now with all the broadband stuff going on? Yeah, so it was down to a vacation or finding a new line of work, and uh, <laughs> there was it was, a, it was it came down to it was like forty six it was like forty sixty that I should take a vacation uh, rather than quit. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, my team, my team, we feel that, um, and I feel I feel like a, a lot of people are are feeling that stress right now, especially as um, my son's about to start kindergarten, and so on Monday, I understand my life gets really bad for a week or two as we get used to that process. Kindergarten starts at seven thirty a.m., which is insane. Um, so uh, it's gonna be fun. But um, I didn't note it, but uh, Travis is my co-host. For people who are new, uh, this is often how we start off. Usually we start off also with uh, with an intro question and something we call Telecom Peekaboo, but we're skipping all of that today because there's a bunch of stuff to go over that's been happening. We're going to dive right into the fun and um, we're going to be uh, able to take cool questions, uh, questions that uh, are in the chat from uh, YouTube Live or well, I should be streaming on multiple platforms soon. Again, thanks to Henry and Rye. And um, for now, we're on the YouTube Live. People want to put in questions. If we deem them worthy, then they may show up on the screen and force us to deal with them as the people yeah, talking I'm, about the show. Are we, you think we're going to get multiple questions? Huh? <laughs> yes. Optimistic. Okay. Well, I feel like now we're, we're like laying down the gauntlet so people will step okay. up. Um, 
the first thing we're going to talk about is um, before we get into to art off, and what, this is actually a question that came in beforehand on Twitter. And so, Kim, I want to ask you just briefly um, you've added a bunch of cities to Utopia recently. Um, there's probably more that are waiting in the wings. Um, there's a question as to what is what, what's the process? Do you do you go and just like hound people um, in their driveways as they're getting out of their car at home to to um, that they should join Utopia? What 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 do you do? In all of my extra time, I just like go around Utah, like trying to get people to get broadband. Um, for the most part, we usually hear from the city reaching out to us, um, interested into uh, adding us um, as a partner. Uh, a lot of some cities we just find out through RFP process. But for the most part, what is happening right now is citizens are talking to their city about getting better connectivity in, when, in turn, which is almost coming back to us. So we get calls from cities probably on the daily right now of wanting us to come talk to them. Yeah, that's that's what I expected you to say because I didn't think that you had any time to be um, out there trying to convince others. I feel like at this point you're more vetting than you are seeking. That is true. I mean, even my cat feels neglected right now at home because of how much time I'm working. So let's let's run around real quick. Travis, how's business for you? Uh, was it a was it a quiet summer spent mostly just waiting for Gopher volleyball to start? Uh, it's been actually, a, it's been a very busy summer. You know, weather up here has been very interesting. We haven't got a lot of rains, which means we had a lot of construction. We got a lot done. Uh, tons of supply chain problems. Orders that we had in were canceled. Vendors were not taking new orders. So we, we came to a new strategy where we just ordered from 12 different vendors and whatever showed up, showed up. You built and, a warehouse. You see, you told us before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we bought a large warehouse. We were looking at buying some farmland to store conduit and, and uh, et cetera. We're, our new model is to try to store two years of parts and pieces in Minneapolis so that we can keep going. It, it's, it's terrible. Along with, we look at a 45 to 50% price increases across the board for materials right now if you can get them. So uh, it's, it's been a challenging summer. Yes, Kim. I have a question. Can we talk about that you play volleyball? No, no, he watches volleyball. Oh, oh, Me I play? <laughs> I'm not a huge sports fan, but we got a pair of tickets to Gophers women's volleyball. Okay, that's not bad, actually. You know, it's kind They're of a top team in the nation. Oh, so, yes. Uh, we've, we've people who, going, yeah, for people who haven't watched Division One. Um, like it's like six v six women's volleyball indoors, freaking yes. amazing. And, and part of the fun is watching Chris in his side hustle, which is taking pictures. So he runs around the arena taking pictures of the of the game. So I uh, that that I also do that and eat ice cream there at the same time. So it's a very multi-functional sporting event for me. So so yeah, last question then about that, Travis. Summer, a customer uptake through the roof. We just got to find enough stuff to hook them up. Travis, when it doesn't rain for six weeks in a row, does it change the drilling? Does it get easier or harder? Is it just that so you get to do more of it because you're not having to worry about crews getting rained on? Yeah, so we have a, the Mississippi River runs right through the Minneapolis and St. Paul. So the closer you get to the river and the longer it has been dry, the more difficult it is to drill. There's a lot of rocks and sand and clay, not sand, a lot of clay over there. And it gets it's almost like drilling through cement in some areas. But... Uh, the, uh, the rain has come back, the construction is going, and now we're looking to venture out of Minneapolis. We're moving into the western suburbs next year. So uh, things are good if we can get conduit and fiber. And you're continuing to build in Minneapolis. You're just not Continue, solely building. Yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're, we're, we're reaching out. 
we're spreading our wings a little bit. Yeah, Doug, how are things with you? Keeping busy? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've added a dozen new clients in the last month. Um, on top of all the clients I already have, so I've turned down three or four times that many. I mean, it's just everyone in the world's looking for help right now. It's it's insane. So uh, I actually hired somebody. Now I need to hire somebody else. That's not nearly enough help. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that you might just keep that position open. Yeah. Well, I, I filled that one. I just need, you know, I just think I'll just keep doing it. Yeah. So. Right. I mean, I just keep the, uh, the yeah. job format, yep. the job. I, I'm thinking out there. Yes. I'd like to so, share some of our water because we had 10 inches of rain from the hurricane in one day. That was a little wow. bit too much. That was yeah. a bit much. Yeah. So. Yeah. We, um, my big thing is that, um, I, uh, I have allergies that have gotten worse over the years and I found that droughts are really bad when they occur right before ragweed season. And, uh, Kind of lost control of my face for a little while, and that was uncomfortable. So, <laughs> um, glad to be done with that. Um, so let's talk about Ardoff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run to you, Doug, and ask. Since people have, I, I feel like there's just this question of like, what exactly has been going on? Uh, in January, I felt like we were a bit horrified as to what happened. But if you told us nine months later, we wouldn't still really know where things were going. I might have been surprised. The FCC has themselves just a massive dilemma because of all the giant challenges. So it's $9 billion. What they've done so far is they've actually handed out a little over $300 million. So now there's $300 million worth of projects that are actually, they know their money's coming and, and actually I'm working with two of them and they're off building. They're, they're gone. I mean, those, those folks are starting to work. But that's $300 million out of $9 billion. The FCC killed about 300 million. They took some states back from from LTD and they killed some other projects, things that didn't just quite line up right. And then there's another about 250 to 300 million that they're asking uh, ISPs to voluntarily kill. Like they've asked uh, Starlink not to not to take the money to build the Los Angeles airport, that sort of thing. Uh, and so, uh, so that's about, that'll dispose of about 900 million uh, and, but, you know, they're supposedly going to start having periodic releases now of more approvals, but uh, it's already been a month or so, six weeks, I guess, even since the first batch. So we're, we're wondering as well. They have to still be wrestling like crazy with the LTD issue and the Starlink issue. There are just people like crazy lobbying them not to give them money. So, I mean, I, the, I'm, I would not be shocked if they don't resolve some of those issues for a year I mean, from here. I mean, I, I think the FCC's got themselves in a no-win position on some of those issues. So. Do you have a sense of whether this is more or less uh, impacted by the 2-2 situation in which, like, the, the, the commission does not have a, a majority that can really act? In, or is this just the normal wrangling that happens below this, below the, was it the eighth level, the ninth, the ninth, what do they call that, the Eighth floor, ninth floor. Uh, well, I, I think that the 2 2 issue is certainly impacting them making those big decisions. I don't think they're going to resolve if they're going to give people like Starlink the money or not with 2 to 2. Not unless, not unless they happen to agree that they're going to. But, uh, but if that's at all controversial, yeah, I think that's probably. Of course, they're not. We don't know. They don't talk about that sort of thing. We know there's lots of other stuff they're not working on because of 2 to 2. But th this well, is okay, one that we don't know. Work? How does it work in this in these RDOF grants? Because do they anticipate a fifty percent material cost and potentially a thirty percent labor cost increase? These aren't these aren't grants. They they bid X 
remember, they get their money over 10 years, and so it has nothing to do with the actual cost of building the project. The ISP bid the amount of money they would get, and they have to come up with the rest. Now they have to come up with that much more. And so they have to borrow all the money yeah. up front to get this stuff built. They don't get paid for years and years. How does that model work then? I would imagine there's a bunch of them thinking about turning it back in. I have to, th I have to think that there's charter in my state turned several whole counties back in already. I think that, you know, I think I think they just bid everything in sight, and then they came out to Appalachia and they went, "Wow, that's going to be really hard to build there." <laughs> so now they, they turned they turned some of them back in. Yeah, this okay. was super controversial because when John Chambers and others suggested that there should be an amnesty to allow people to turn things back in because of the shenanigans and whatever the heck was going on there, um, some people said that that's not really appropriate because now you have these counties that Charter turned back in. They got screwed, and Charter doesn't pay right. any price for well, having played did, with their they futures. They didn't get screwed because, quite honestly, those counties will fall into the upcoming grants, which are probably a much better path anyway. I That's another it, question we're going to get to in a second. Yeah, uh, so let's, let's just hold that for a second. And and let me ask, Kim, do you have any reactions to the, the Ardoff situation as a the commentator there? No, I just think we all knew it was going to be a cluster, and it, it is a cluster. So, I mean, the thing with the thing with LTD that 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 kills me is, and I talked with Travis about this on the phone. And so, Travis, do you want to relay? Because we talked about LTD failed to get its ETC. It uh, needs to be ruled by the Public Utilities Commission in every state that it's going to operate that it is an eligible telecommunications carrier, which means it can meet certain standards of service. And this is something that in previous grant programs LTD had failed to do. So it wasn't a surprise. They know the process, and yet they did not go through it correctly in California, which led to them not getting the money for California, as I understand it. Travis, what was your reaction when I was talking with you about that? Well, you know, you don't, the problem with a lot of these programs is you don't know everything you don't know. So if these guys knew, then I'm not sure that's a valid excuse. I just struggle with how these guys are going to make this business model work. Any of these art off winners, unless you're a very large incumbent that has deep pockets, because the, the volatility of what's going on in the supply chain and the labor market is so bad, who's going to make up the difference? I mean, you're already talking about areas that are challenging to serve financially to begin with and then double the price. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to learn you can turn it back in, and I would encourage people to do that. I'm, I'm very concerned that none of this is going to get executed very well at all. Well, no, Travis, the thing that you said, which I was super entertained by, was like, oh, he was like, yeah, you, you got to pay attention to the details. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, this is the part. Okay, I talk to guys all the time that want to get into this business. And it's the details that just kill you that you don't even know. You didn't even know they were details until every right. day. So if you don't have a detail oriented person or mindset, you'll get these regulations. I mean, just going down the street, you probably have 19 different departments at a city you have to work with. To make them happy and if you and if you don't have every i dotted and every t crossed you're going to be out of business before you got in business so that was my whole point on the details if you can't even get past hurdle one you know it reminds me of the olympics you know they're running around and they're jumping over the hurdles you gotta get over all of them to win the gold right <laughs> if, you, if you knock one over you're face planted and that's what happens in these type of situations see i'm not a detail guy but we have detail guys on staff thank goodness that can deal with all this 
So as we move into one of the other questions that we got on Twitter, uh, it had to do with what Doug was leaning into with RDOF and the FCC, which is to say, um, you know, how do we reconcile what we're seeing right now if the infrastructure bill is likely to pass? We can talk about in a second how likely we each think it is. Um, but but how do you deal with the fact that there it looks like there's a much better program coming up and whether you're a community or an ISP, seems like it'd be a heck of a lot better to deal with that approach than the RDOF approach. Yeah, but I don't know how a community talks to RDOF winner and back it out. So yeah, I mean, that, so that that's absolutely the the if the if the infrastructure bill passes, that's a much better path to get this done. The money comes up front; you get it now. You know the business plan. Uh, in fact, you're going to get to apply for the current cost, not the cost that it was a year ago when the RDOF was done. You can tell them the current cost, and so that you'll be able you'll be able to get the forty percent increase that Travis was talking about. Um, but, but you know, it's just not going to happen. What RDOF did that really messed the whole world up was uh, that it, it's a checkerboard award. It takes a little bit of a whole lot of communities and doesn't do all of any community. And so how, how are these communities going to find the money to do the rest? It, at the county level, at the little town level, they just, these, the FCC has made the biggest mess I'm glad you used the word cluster. It saved me from doing the bigger version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it. The deeper and deeper you keep looking at specific situations, you just get disgusted. It's like, look what they did here. Oh my gosh, look what they did here. I mean, it, it's just mind boggling how bad the RDOF awards are. Uh, it, it, you know, they, they come in and pick off 15% of an Indian tribe, where well, the tribes have access to awesome money, and that really ruins their ability to get this done. I mean, it's just place after place after place, the, the RDOF words are messing up the real life ability to build these grants. But I challenge you, Doug, so I get it. I agree that the infrastructure bill is, looks like it's going to be better, but it's like almost the evil you know versus the evil we don't know, because we don't know really what the parameters of the infrastructure bill are right. going to look like. So I, I get both sides of if you already have the money with RDOF, why turn it back in and like kind of cross your fingers that it's going to come with the infrastructure bill? Well, except that the people who are going to build uh, the grants are probably different people who are, who got the RDOF money. I mean, it's not the same. It's not turn it back in and go after a grant. I think if you turn your RDOF in, you're never getting a grant. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're done. So um, I think you're going to go on that on the federal blacklist. So. Um, so I, I think that, you know, that, so that, that's where you're not going to do both. So. Well, one of the, the challenges that we see with the communities is that, um, some of these, by the way, this is freaking me out when I talk and my picture gets big. It's <laughs> it it kind of got to me too. I was like, I'm just seeing me on the screen. Yeah, well, All right. right I, want, I want more of this then. Anytime anyone talks, they're going to take <laughs> The uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is in a state like Ohio, you have a, a program, um, as many states have just learned, oh, Hawaii, Rye found out, um, you have these state broadband programs that are subsidy programs that cities cannot apply for. And now the Congress, if the infrastructure bill passes, will probably be giving money to those states who will probably use the same processes they've developed, only then 
cities and counties cannot and tribes and like public agencies cannot be prohibited from competing for awards uh at which point you have this sort of question of like whether you're you're really hoping that no private company is going to go for that money that's available now because in eight months or a year there might be money available in your area that you want and you want to build a better solution with it than whoever happens to you know win it um from the private sector and so there's a real interesting uh, situations developing because of these state programs that are designed not to go to any sort of um, entity that operates in the public interest. I have a degree in game theory, a math degree, and I tell you what, this is too complicated to map out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the possibilities are almost endless of what's my best strategy right now because because well, that's you can only map out things where you know the rules. We don't know the rules. Kim said it, so you know how's this going to work? So how do you make your decision up about what you want to wait for or do when you don't know what that's going to look like? So I mean, the only one I know who's got the right attitude is Travis to put two years worth of stuff in a warehouse. He's good. So well, that's what I was wondering. How long, you know, let's say this money gets distributed, how long do you have to utilize it, to spend it? It varies based on the program. Yeah. Okay. Congress is talking, the, the, the Senate bill said you have four years to build it and it's not going to get awarded for a year. So that's five years from now. So that's, you know, it's going to be stretched out. So. Yeah, but you um, the supply chain issue. So are they going to yeah. extend the time to hit some of these markers? I mean. Well, the NTIA already said all the words that, that just got applied for. Nobody's going to get those built next year. So they're going to have, they've already said they're going to have to extend the time, right? So, but but, uh, but you can't really automatically spend a time that was set by Congress. That's not easy to do. And so, so the yeah. depends on it depends on who approved the money. But um, Kim, what are you, what are you guys doing out there? Because like today, actually, ironically, today at lunch we put in orders for Fiverr for 2023. What's Utopia doing? We're we're right there with you. Yeah. Like we're ordering right now. We're ordering for two years out, and you're looking from a salesperson saying, "What are your projections going to be in two years?" and I have no idea of if we're going to get 15 cities or we're going to be at 100 cities. You you don't know. I mean, I was on a call today that somebody said they ordered a bucket truck and the lead time was 17 months for yeah. a bucket truck right so now. 72 weeks is our current one on order for one bucket truck. It's funny you bring that up. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, I it, like I was just talking is that our cost, like we have contracts that are in place that, that end at the end of the year. So what does those those cost increases look like? And where are those who's going to take the brunt of those costs, right? Is it going to be the consumer who's going to pay more for the service or what? I mean, somebody is going to absorb those costs and most likely it's not going to be a lot of the ISPs who are going to absorb the additional costs of well, the, problem is, the problem is you've got to absorb that cost rate up front to fund it. I mean, a lot of these projects may find that they don't have enough money to build after all. So that talk about I don't, what are they going to do? What, what if you can't come up with your matching funds? Yeah, Travis, what were you going to say? No, I, I was the same thing. You know, I, we're talking to some of these vendors, you know, about because I'm trying to make sure that we're going to be still at top of the food chain. A lot of these vendors are saying they're not even bringing on any new customers. The customers they have are, you know, the, the draw towers that are drawing the fiber are at maximum capacity right now. They they and we've actually had orders turned away for new for new business so i i don't know all this money you know and and simultaneously all this debt is so cheap right now forget the federal money i mean just standard traditional bank debt so cheap right now you know you're starting to see a lot of people building 
and I don't know where all this stuff's coming from. Well, that's it. You know, if a small town gets a grant, at Chris's point, they're never going to get fiber. You're going to be the very last guy in that long list if you yeah. want to build. If you want to well, buy, if you want to buy six miles of fiber, no one's going to sell it to you. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel like we're seeing more of these kind of partnerships. Where you know, we just saw in uh, Vermont, uh, my colleague Sean wrote about uh, one of the new communications union districts is working with uh, a local ILEC uh, small company. Um, and um, and that's where I think we're going to see more of this. It's going to be a real benefit to partner. Um, you know, like cities that are looking at working with Utopia. You know, for instance, like Kim, we've talked before about how like Lehigh has decided to go their own way. Um, it will be curious to see, you know, what they do in terms of how long it takes them to get stuff. Whereas you already have relationships with all those um, all those uh, contractors and vendors. Absolutely. It's it might take it might take them three years longer to get what they thought they were going to get. Yeah, that's, that's how bad the supply chain is. Exactly. Right? You have the partnerships, you have the relationships, you have the contracts in place to get those the the things that you need. But it is going to be interesting. I mean, going back to the point too, and where are we going to see these projects um, go? Like a project six months ago that would pencil, does it pencil today? No. So where is how far is this infrastructure or even RDOF money going to really go? <laughs> But like that's the question I have with Travis. You say 40, 45%, and there's a question coming about like what planning can folks do? Um, and uh, where, where, I mean, like some of these costs, like, I mean, we're talking about like vaults, right? Like are vaults going to keep going up in price? Like, you know, is the resin stuff, is that going to keep going up in price? Like fiber takes forever to build a factory. We've talked about that before. Like that's going to be a shortage for a while probably. But like, is all this stuff going to be a problem? Well, I think that's the million dollar question. And, you know, if you look back in history, how often do prices go down? Or is this is this just the new price? And no, no I see, I disagree. If you look back in history, we have these bubbles and, and okay. many of the commodities will go back down. Um, the ones that stay in short demand won't. But, you know, the normal, you know, the, the plastic for the vaults, when that supply chain is fixed, the prices are going to come back because nobody will buy it. They just won't pay. You know, it. When, when the whole when the wholesale price of the materials goes down for the guys who make vaults, they're going to drop their price because they want to sell because they're not there's more multiple guys who make it, so the market will drive those prices down. We've always seen that, but, but boy, fiber prices aren't coming down because there's okay. it's going to be it's going to be short for the next ten years. Well, I mean, so. yeah, I guess it depends what your timing is because I would argue right. that with all this money coming into the market to build these networks, you're going to have a lot more demand. So yeah, there might mm -hmm. you know so. Yeah, I guess that's a valid question. How soon? It's not going to happen oh, yeah. next oh, week. No, 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 no. These bubbles are usually like two, three years. It's, oh, okay. It's, okay. Yes, yes. But, It'll come back down eventually. So. But that goes to my previous point, right? The costs are high now. Who's going to absorb it? Is it going to be the end user at the end of the day? And those costs usually don't dec decrease, right? <laughs> The profit margins increase on the other side when the prices go down. I think everybody across the board is looking at a rate increase to their subscribers. And then, right. but here's where, here's what benefits the larger entities though, that, you know, you, it's a much smaller increase. I mean, it's just, it's over the whole, over the, the entire group. I guess the, the real, the real, you know, the part we haven't talked about, and I can only speak to Minneapolis or Minnesota is the, the bigger problem is labor. You know, trying trying to get people that are interested in running directional drills and digging in, you know, digging up gas services, and you know, it's it's 
you know, $25 an hour minimum now in, in Minneapolis to get people to work here. Because, you know, you're competing with uh, White Castle at $19 an hour. I mean, literally, that's what you're dealing with. And, and they're inside in the air conditioning. You're outside in 110 degree weather, you know. So that's that's another big problem. Is well, and I'm trying to. I I need to hear more about these 110 degree days in Minneapolis. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm so distracted with this new format. This is like way too professional. I don't know where the hell I learned. No, the problem is Travis thinks in Celsius, and he just misconverted no. it. Uh, you know these. I don't know. Hotter than hell here is all I gotta say. Okay. And, you know, yeah, there was there was yeah. a it was a rough June, and then it we. You know, um, but that, Travis, there's one other piece of it too, and I'm curious if if Kim or Doug have seen this. But Travis, you've noted that um, you've had problems in some neighborhoods where um, you've had crews that are physically threatened, um, even if there's not an actual rise in violence, which in in many places there has been. There's a perception that there's a rise in violence, and so crews increasingly feel more power also to be like, I don't want to work in in certain neighborhoods because I don't feel safe, and perhaps they're not actually safe. So that's yet another challenge of deployment. First of all, I don't want to move to wherever Travis is having um, issues in neighborhoods. But I mean, we've had some racial issues. We've had some people who've who've yelled at our crews, um, but we've been really good at handling them and uh, mitigating the situations. Um, and, but yeah, like it is, we do see it. We do see racial epitaphs. Like, like I don't want this, this um, gender or I don't want this ethnicity coming to my house. Um, but we don't tolerate that at Utopia Fiber um, whatsoever. Oh, the entire country is right where Chris was a few weeks ago. Everybody's tense. Man, it's it's just a, re a really weird world right now. So. Oh, no, it's it's terrible. I mean, we've had, I don't know, is it seven or eight, you know, guns pulled on our crews, um, you know, people stealing. I mean, there's no recourse here in Minneapolis, right? You can steal what you want <laughs> and nobody, nobody will do anything. And then you have an added cost increase because traditionally we would leave all the heavy equipment out in the street at night. And now in certain neighborhoods, you have to pack it all up, truck it all away. So, I mean, it, it takes a couple extra hours a day just to do that. And yeah, the contractors are coming back and saying, hold on, I have four other companies called me today to work for them and I can go work in a different area that I don't have these problems. Yeah. Well, what do I do? We've got police escorts um, if we've needed to in the past. It hasn't happened much. Yeah. Uh, I would say Utah is a relatively safe state. Um, but yeah, no, we've, I mean, you're, I think we're dealing with it everywhere. I don't think yeah. it's you there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Minneapolis, too, is that like, you know, there's people that talk about how the crime's gone up. There's more homicides in St. Paul as well. And yet I feel pretty comfortable walking around any neighborhood. Right. And so it's not like sort of like what we think of in our minds necessarily as unsafe areas. And yet all of a sudden you're on a block and there's suddenly people that are there threatening grown men who are doing work, physical labor with guns. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and, and like Travis has said, like, I feel like one of the things that I've observed over the course of the, the protests and whatnot is that the police have no answer to this sort of like sudden threat of violence, like carjackings and things like that. Like the police can't, like they can't snap their fingers and teleport to the location. And so it's incredibly hard to deal with these like ephemeral things that pop up. And, um, and I don't really see much of a solution coming to deal with that sort of a problem. And so like, I just, I wonder if we're going to see this in more urban areas as we just, we continue to have, as Doug said, this, the stress is just building up and up and up. Travis needs to send all of his 
with customers to the Black Hills for a vacation. So, I, think, you know. I, I, <laughs> I think we need more tie-dye in our life. If more people wore tie-dye, then I think we would be happier. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it's been a very – this is actually the first year we've ever had this problem. Mm. And um, But, you know, it's I'll be frank. It's kind of died down now the last probably four weeks or so. But then, boom, something will happen. I mean, we had a you – know, you can't make this stuff up being an operator. I mean, we had we had a guy last week. I don't know mental health issues, whatever the case may be, was running around with a clipper, clipping fiber lines on people's houses and apartment buildings. And and you know what? He just couldn't clip them in half. He had to like take like a one foot chunk out of it to make it <laughs> deal with. You know, it's just it's just the problem of the day. And these are things you know when I always I always get a kick out of it when you're talking to you know people that are are putting a spreadsheet together on how to do this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you missed a whole lot there, son. I have one story about that. We have somebody who keeps kept clipping some of our fiber because they yeah. thought it was copper. Yeah. And they were trying to, to sell the copper. And so I was like almost a joke internally of what we put in front of the box. This is not copper. <laughs> Stop. Oh, yeah. No, you have to. I mean, I wanted to put high voltage. This will kill you on top of all the handholes. They just thought that the, the people in the neighborhood might be a little disturbed by that. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember, the, these things come around. I was actually visiting a client, Sugarland Telephone Company in Sugarland, Texas, 30 years ago. And the day I got there, uh, the, the day before, a very professional-looking work crew with a giant truck and, and the reels came and stole 15 miles of copper right off the poles. Wow. They reeled it up. They had the hard hats. I think they even had a police escort. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you so, what? you know, th these things go in cycles and, you know, the, the money of copper was up and by God, they took a lot of it. So Talk about yeah. technology, though. We caught this guy. Uh, there were 15 Nest's doorbell cameras. We had video from all of them. So we caught the guy. And, of course, there's nothing you can do, right? They released him two days later. But we... Um, we got a cease and assist, and now it's, it has stopped for at least the last few days. But again, you can't make this stuff up. Every day, it's something. Yeah, and that's yeah. where I wanted to get. I wanted to discuss this because it's a it's a hot button issue. This issue of crime. There's a comment from Scott that this is a systemic issue, and it's it's absolutely right. And what Doug says, it goes in cycles. Um, but at the same time, we can't just ignore that these are realities that that people have to deal with. And that's one of the things I want this show to deal with is is talking about these things that that we never talk about. As Travis loves pointing out to me, the uh, the back to school movie with Rodney Dangerfield, who's one of my favorite all time Americans, um, and uh, and just all the things they don't teach you when you're like learning about these businesses in terms of what actually happens behind the scenes. Um, but we we're going to move on and let's talk about the FCC again and NTIA and um, the fact that <laughs> apparently this administration really wants me to buy chicken wings for Travis because that is what I'm seeing. Um, we are um, not I missed I missed that. Which bill was that in? <laughs> this is a the simple fact that with it, as long as the FCC is two to two, they cannot change the definition of broadband. And I have until the end of February, roughly, in which uh, if the FCC has not changed the definition of broadband, then I have to buy Travis Wings for a year. I think you should just go ahead and start buying it. You know, it's not going to change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this and this this is like a very serious discussion, right? Like, is there? And I want to ask him this first. 
Is there any reason you can plausibly give for how this administration has decided that it just doesn't want to do anything at the FCC for a full year, um, the first year of its of its term? I, I mean, this is what I think. I think that they haven't named an NTI, NTIA chief or an FCC um, chief because they're waiting for this infrastructure bill to go through and they don't want to politicize it um, and they don't want to make it political fodder um, and, and like prevent the infrastructure bill from going through. I hope, and this is my fingers crossed, that once we see the infrastructure bill signed and approved, that we'll see the FCC and the NTIA chief uh, named. That is the best explanation I've heard, and I've been talking to people about this for a while. That's a pretty good one. I, I would buy that because otherwise it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at, and we talked about this previously, but for people who haven't heard it, um, we're looking at the FCC having two Republicans and one Democrat in January, uh, at which point nothing happens at the FCC. Uh, and that's because uh, the, the interim chair, Jessica Rosenworcel, will have to step down in January. And it's a 2-2 commission right now. And at that point, the Senate Republicans will have no incentive to try to uh, put a new FCC uh, nominee up out because they're going to be not in charge. Um, the one Democrat will still be the interim chair and set the agenda, but nothing will move forward. So the Senate Republicans will know that they can just stop anything that they don't want to happen at the FCC by not appointing uh, a person that's uh, put up for confirmation. And I that's going to be pretty ugly. I have a second theory, Chris, too. My second theory is that we can't find another Reese's mug large enough for the FCC. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Like, I feel like, you know, six months ago, I think a bunch of us were like, well, we're hoping that we'll get a really great nominee. At this point, even if it's the best nominee in the history, or like, let's just say that without, you know, posit that it's an amazing nominee that will get amazing stuff done, it's, we will have lost more ground because we just haven't acted on all this stuff. Um, you know, Can I challenge you, though? I think the NTIA chief is more important than the FCC chief right now. Because of $65 billion? Yeah. Yes, yes. I think that's a more important position because who's going to allocate that money and disperse it? I think that's the person we should really be watching. The FCC is is out there, but really the NTIA is is kind of come, come out from the shadows as the most important person, in my opinion, in broadband right now. In the short I wanna, term, yeah. I, I want to throw a wrench into your chicken bet because as far as I'm concerned, Congress has already changed the definition of broadband. So To what? Ooh. To 120. Oh, oh, Doug, what are you doing? Hang on oh, a second. Sorry. <laughs> well, I appreciate Doug's efforts. Whoa, but, whoa, 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 whoa. But the terms of our bet have nothing to do with reality. They have to do with uh, with uh, specifically FCC definitions. So Travis is pretty safe. There. If they pass the infrastructure bill, they've basically set the definition of, of, of broadband at 120. I, I don't even think you're right about that, Doug. I think you you're don't wrong. think so? No, because okay. because like if you well, have, I was trying to I was trying to get you off the hook. And I do I do deeply appreciate it. Um, yeah. But if you have a 26 megabit con, um, connection um, and four megabits up, the infrastructure bill considers you served. Or maybe it considers you underserved, but you ain't getting no money. Like, you know, like, well, again, back to the RDOF issues, a lot of states are going to have troubles 
they're not going to have a lot of those un- unserved people to serve. That money's going to go to underserved people. So, but it, th- I'm really curious to see. I've talked with a few people about this. I mean, this is so basically a state. St. New York State is a good example. They've done a really good job of getting state money out there and some federal dollars out there to to do a lot of the connections in the unserved areas. They have fewer unserved areas than many other places. But they still have to demonstrate that like every last house is served before they can start putting money into the underserved, as I understand it. Right. That's not. Well, they don't have to. They don't have to prove their. They have to put us. They have to put aside enough money to serve. The way I read it is there. If if that's a third of their funding, they have to say absolutely swear they're going to get them all done. So, yeah. Wait, I have a question. Which means they have to find an ISP willing to do those. I mean, there's issues there. Starlink. I have a question though. How many times have you paid for chicken wings, Chris, and you and Travis? Huh. That's what I thought, too. Perfect. Just asking. I think I offered Chris once. Chris and me in the same sentence? What was this? Yeah. Oh, and it's even better. He does the old eat and run, too. Right. <laughs> that one time. Yeah, apparently, like, I don't know, the president calls him or something, and it's more important than finishing our conversation about. Well, maybe maybe he's been having discussions about becoming head of the NTIA for all we know. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is, why doesn't Kim become head of the NCAA? That would become head of the FCC, and we'll just we'll just get this done right now. Well, here's one of the other issues that that again is difficult. I'm changing the dress code right off the bat. <laughs> in in the United States right now, it's hard to talk candidly about this stuff. But one of the things that is talked about behind the scenes is that the next head of the FCC will not be a white man. Um, and that is something that um, is pretty clear, I think, from anyone who reads the tea leaves and is frankly justifiable in that a lot of qualified people have not been considered in the past because it was almost always white men who were appointed to it. But I think that that might also be part of the issue that this administration has had in that they are trying to go deeper uh, in terms of finding candidates who are not white men for a lot of these positions. And they have to find people that haven't been vetted because they have not been seriously considered in the past for conditions and for positions. And so I think that there are trade-offs with that. Uh, we desperately, I think we should have a more diverse um, group of overrulers <laughs> that are making the decisions for the rest of us. Uh, but there's a real challenge of trying to do that in the short term. And that's I, one of the issues. Uh, I, I think I would disagree with that in that there's a lot of qualified women and, and, and minorities oh, in this industry. No doubt that there's qualified women, but are they been vetted? I don't think it would be hard to make a list of people that would be easy to vet. I, I, I don't think I agree with you. Yeah, but I think that there's a lot of qualified women in this space as a woman in this space. But I mean, we are outnumbered tenfold. I mean, of the qualified men versus women. We're talking about they're looking for one or two. So, yes. Good point. Good point, Doug. Yeah. And again, I don't I don't bring this up to be like, woe is the white man. Uh, (laughs) So but at the same time, it's not just a matter of the FCC. There's a lot of positions in which I think they are trying to go deeper and there's a cost to that. And this administration has also had to deal with COVID, uh, the wind down of Afghanistan and other things that have sucked it up. But at the end of the day, I don't think all of those reasons are excuses. Um, this, the FCC is serious. The NTIA is serious. There's lots of other positions that just need people to run them and we need that to happen. What do you think of Jessica Rosenworcel and why she hasn't been named the the FCC chair? Um, 
I, ha- I don't actually, I don't know enough. Someone actually gave me a really good reason. It has to do with internal politics and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, it may have been some of the decisions that Jessica has um, um, gone in the past that have upset certain people. And then they um, basically took her off that list as a punishment for not towing the line. Um, I think. And, and that's DC politics. That always plays a big role in this stuff. Yep. So, yep. So um, that's the reason, Travis, that we're not going to D.C. together. <laughs> I, I don't I frankly don't know why anyone would want that job, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm totally with you on that, Travis. Like, I mean, it's it's a job that's incredibly difficult. And um, I even when I disagree with people like a G pie, um, I still have respect for the fact that they are willing to do it. Um, you know, and there's boy, he angers me. But um, but people who are willing to do that sort of public service like. Um, I'm glad that they're out there. Isn't it a no-win situation? I mean, at least half the people are going to be mad at whatever decision you make, right? By definition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Boy, that's a tough job to have. Mm-hmm. All right. We got we got about 15, 20 minutes left, depending on how long y'all want to want to hang out. But I want to make sure that we dig into this issue. Um, the FCC is going to be doing some research around MDUs, multi-dwelling units, the uh, apartment buildings, the condos, the things like that, uh, buildings that have lots of folks in them. And what exactly is happening with uh, whether or not the big cable and telephone companies are locking them up to pre- prevent competition? And what can the FCC do about it? Uh, for history's sake, Doug, Kim probably know um, a lot about how this has gone on, but the FCC <laughs> kind of dealt with it before. And pretty much everyone involved said, okay, we'll just tweak how we do business and we'll just keep on preventing competition there. Uh, at the same time, there's a reality that and Travis can certainly correct me on is however we want to dive into this topic. I'd say five years ago, it seemed like MDUs were never going to get competition. And now it seems like they're super sexy. Lots of people are trying to trying to build the MDUs. So, so what's going on there? What can be done? And is this a smart use of the FCC's time right now? I'll go first. I have an opinion. Why... Are we that concerned about competition in MDUs when the vast majority of people in single-family homes don't have any competition? How many people are, is your competition? You have competition when your choice is the cable company or DSL. I mean, seriously. So, I, you know, I, this that seems like a misplaced issue to me because there's only a handful of cities under 20 where there's enough MDUs for this to be an issue. The rest of the world this doesn't have the rest of the world you're lucky if you get an isp to come to your mdu at one so you're not going to be having competition in in, in county seats when there's only three apartment complexes in town and so um so we're really only talking a way to solve the problem in the big cities and that's you know at the end of the day the supreme court is going to rule that landlords can do what they want i don't care what the rules say the fcc i guarantee you that's going to be how it comes out I think that's a fair point. It's private ownership of how they want to handle the connection. Yeah. Their and that's what happened from the 2000 ruling. The 2000 ruling said that the cable companies can't sneak in restrictions that lock people up forever without telling them. That's basically all they ruled on then because they used to do that. That they, they like, oh, you didn't know that you signed up with us forever? So they got rid of that. But, but, but building owners want these arrangements. And I don't see them ever stopping that. So I think that's the problem, though, Doug. Building owners want some of these arrangements because they see profit margins and have. Oh, I know. Right. I know. 
So at Utopia Fiber, we've done both. We have some MDUs where the person, they have choice of all of our providers on our network. And then we have some that we do a one bulk pipe into the MDU and then the provider hands it off and does all the connections to each unit. I think but you're, but you're open access. Yeah, we are open access. I mean, any other city, we don't have anything of that going on. The, 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 in True. smaller towns, there's no MDUs with multiple people who want to serve it. The marketing's hard. The, I mean, little ISPs, and Minnesota's a great example. All those little co-ops and telephone companies in Minnesota, they go to the county seats and they serve the cell towers and the school and the city hall, and they won't touch the MDUs. They're scared to death of them. Because the marketing's right. hard, the marketing's hard, the turnover's big, and they're just going, I can't make money here, and, then they, and they don't mess with them. Unless the they can sell, that, unless they can sell a gigabit it. pipe to the building and walk away, then they'll do that. So Is this, is this because they're high touch for like start and close? Because it, it seems mm -hmm. to me, like not to spoil Travis's big secrets that I think he's talked about publicly, but like there's ways to sign people up if you're smart about it without even spending a, a minute of customer service time on them. I'm just saying that I'm saying the little ISPs are scared to death. They don't they don't know what Travis does. Well knows Travis was a little ISP when he figured <laughs> this stuff out. Yeah, but they but they work in they work in rural counties and he works at a city. He figured it out. So yep. And Travis Tra said nothing. Are you, are you, Travis, you're building you're building rural Wisconsin. You're gonna go after the MDUs and yeah, yeah, you know, our, our our network, the idea behind our network was to provide, you know, kind of universal Connect to, I wanted everybody, every apartment building, because, you know, the thing that I could never understand when talking to people is they look at an apartment building. I look at it just a bunch of single family homes. Uh, and it, quite frankly, it takes less fiber and less connectivity to do it in MDU. Where, where it gets to be a challenge that you don't have in a single family home is in a single family home, you can just walk up, knock on the door, sign up as a customer, and move on. By the way, this full screen thing is really strange. <laughs> <laughs> and um, thank you. Don't uh, be intimidated by him, Henry. Pull well, him back. I can't, I can't see if, uh, if Kim's agreeing or not. So, you know, um, but in, 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 in an MDU, you have to work with management companies. This is where it gets to be really tough because you don't always know who the management companies are. They don't know who you are. They've, they've, they've got some sort of uh, rev share agreement with the cable company or the telco that they're, they're already under contract for three years. So you need to keep real good records so you know when you can go back and talk to them again. It's just a much more complicated sales process. But question, Travis, do you put a unit, like a device per unit when you come into those MDUs? So we, we put an ethernet jack in every single unit. Okay. So that basically here's the onboarding. Well, so a few pieces of trivia that I could not believe when I first learned, got into this business, 50% of the apartment units in Minneapolis turn over every year. I thought they were kidding, spot on. At the end of the month, you'll have a ton of cancels, and at the beginning of the month, you have a ton of signups. You know, these people get, they move around quite often. So we have to onboard them very easily. So ours is very simple. You just plug in, you get a splash page, you fill out three or four pieces of information, and you're on the internet. I can with a credit card. With a credit card. I can see it very frustrating if, you had, if everyone had to call in to cancel and everyone had to call in to sign up. Um, but it is a very laborious process to track down the MDU owners, convince them that, you know, that there's a third option. So if the FCC came along and said that we were just magically allowed to go into all these buildings, okay, that would do all of nothing because you still have to coordinate with the building, get somebody to let you in. You have to coordinate running the ethernet cables to all the apartments. It's, 
it's not just a it's not a it's not a conversation about if we can get access or not we'll get access eventually because customers will demand it people will only move into apartments where we have service that's how you get and, it. and that's where market drives it the fact yeah. is building owners are always going to be able to block you out because they can just make up rules oh i'm sorry there's no space for you in the communications closet oh you can wire the places but i don't want to see any wires yeah. they can make rules up all day long to keep you out if they want to keep you out but, but well, this is they, practically they, speaking i mean this is where local governments actually can make a difference not in the way that Doug was talking. Uh, my sense is is that when San Francisco passed the law that created a presumed right for a tenant to have multiple choices, is that it, it, in in the MDUs, eighty percent of them started complying and they were easier to deal with, and they they got rid of some of those barriers. Twenty percent of them basically said, "Take me to court," right. and so like you've reduced the problem set. But but I don't think the FCC can do that from D.C. You need local governments that are going to put in zoning requirements or like, you know, requirements for like structured wiring or however you want to do it that like over time will make it easier and um, and deal with that sort of a thing. So I just don't know that there's much of a D.C. solution here. I, Although, I agree. It's really easy for an apartment owner to ignore the FCC. Are they going to they going to bring them to the FCC? I do. But I, do you know? I, I am hearing from a lot of like MDU people who don't want to deal with the service aspect of it. Like, right. so they are wanting to just say, here's this one solution, Utopia Fiber, and you have all of these choices within this one solution, right? Because they were like, I don't want to be in the service game. I don't want to have to do that and handle that. And the customer complaints if my their service goes down and I have to call the telecommunications provider. So I think it's very polarizing of what you're seeing on both sides of where uh, MDUs want to go. So, Travis, any last comment? No, I guess I've just never thought that you have to rely on the local or federal government to solve this problem. Just have a far superior product in the marketplace and your customers will drive demand. They just, you know how you want to, if you want to get into an MDU, uh, cut down their, their increase their vacancy rate. They'll start calling you. Well, and you you saw that, Travis, although it took, you know, a significant change in the vacancy rates before they would let you in. That or, you know, what you also notice in these MDUs is the manage the, the people that actually manage the buildings. It's, it's kind of like IT. There's a relatively small community. These people jump around from building to building to building. So if you build a good relationship with a bunch of people, when they go to the new building, guess where you're going in? But do you think, Travis, because this is what I'm seeing here, is that as some of these in the older buildings, as the older generation is moving out and the younger generation is moving in, they're demanding the connectivity more from their building owners than they were in the past. Yeah, it's a real simple conversation for a lot of people. Do you have fiber optic internet connectivity in your building? No. Well, your neighbor does. I'll move in there. I mean, if, if I'm a landlord, you you know, you want to offer services. The problem we had here in Minneapolis was vacancy was at so low, nobody really cared. You know, okay, so what? If you don't want the apartment, somebody else will take it. But now that's you know it's changing a little bit. There's 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 more or there's more vacancy here than there was. So quite frankly, worse fifty as can be right now wiring MDUs. I have to say though, I'm a little scared of Travis's solution to everything, which is to be excellent and high quality. I mean, that's just not going <laughs> to cut. It's not going to cut it as a national policy. Do <laughs> it, <laughs> but it's not because the telecommunications um, world. It's not. It's not the way we do things. Right? <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, what if charters started thinking that? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the end of the end of the movie Sneakers, when um, when the character has any wish that he can ask of the United States government, he says, "I want peace on earth and and goodwill toward man." And um, um, what's his name? The voice of Darth Vader, um, Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, he says, uh, "We are the United States government. We don't do <laughs> that sort of thing." I do have a question for Travis, though. So basically, you said that because you're charming, you get the relationships with all these MDU owners. Is that what you said? Well, you know, you just yeah, you just you try to <laughs> be. The, <laughs> wings, right? I'm actually I'm yeah. actually his like JV. <laughs> here's, the, here's the number one thing MDU owners ask: How much does it cost? And if you say if it's free, we'll put it in all for free, and that really eases a lot of issues where they really get the biggest problem in MDUs is the coordination because you have to get into every single apartment to do the work. This is where, this is where the magic happens. The last thing I want to do is be going, well, the government said I could come in. So now let me in. Oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. You know, you think those, the people that run these buildings are going to, are going to be receptive to that? No. So I, I like it the way it is. It's just fine. Compete in an open market and just provide a superior product. You'll get all the MDUs eventually. And I agree with you. Why is the FCC out of everything that they are worried right. about that this is their, this is what they. And that's my, my exact point too. This is the last thing I would have on their list. I don't understand so let me, it. Let yep. me just say that I am appreciative of the FCC tackling a competitive issue like this. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, what about ism like Doug is. Um, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say that I'm, I'm glad that they are looking into it. I'm just, uh, well, you realize like, with a two to two, they can't pass it. You do know that, right? Well, that's <laughs> part of it. I, mean, I think they're going to, the idea was to study it until they have, um, uh, you know, the, the three, the three votes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the challenge is just right now. It's just this classic thing oh, of like, I, I agree that this is not in the top ten list of things that need so to be done right now. Take a shortcut. I think someone's trying to take a shortcut and make this, you know, instead of getting out there and doing the hard work and building a good product and service. I think they're just they want to go in there with their big mallet and say, "Let me in," and I don't, I don't think that's a good way to do it. So let's talk as our last topic about um, redlining and give me a chance to once again say something negative about uh, Metronet, <laughs> a company that actually does really good work in a number of places, but nonetheless is, um, is I find freaking annoying in that they're going into city after city in the Midwest and in, in doing agreements in which they are very explicit that they will build to a hundred towns and they will build to 70 or 85% of those towns and that anyone who is low income can just deal with the incumbent. And uh, I think that's crap. I, I am very sensitive to smaller ISPs building out and I know that it is difficult. We talk about the reality of building in low income neighborhoods and in the, the business model aspects of that. Um, but uh, I find it infuriating when a company is building in 100 places and just only building to the non-poverty uh, areas. Um, so uh, the FCC may be tasked with studying this issue. My colleague Sean on a recent Community Broadband Bits uh, went off about how like, we know that this is a problem and the FCC is now going to study it for two years. Gee, thanks. Um, so and this is Congress directing them to do a study. But uh, I'm just curious, like, how do people feel about this? How are we going to resolve these issues of of making sure that low-income folks uh, have service in a time in which we have a, I'll say, mar um, I don't say market-friendly, but an, uh, an industry-friendly uh, regulatory regime. I think you're not going to see it unless you make it like infrastructure in a city-owned, and you believe that it's infrastructure. I don't think that a private company has their their books and their revenue stream is going to be 
oh my goodness, we like all of these neighborhoods when we get a 5% take rate here and we get a 60% take rate in the higher demographics. I think that is why here in Utah, a lot of these cities have believed it's a citywide solution um, because it's saying that this is a government is responsibility to put the infrastructure and we let the private sectors run on our lines. Um, that's Does the permanent opinion. subsidy change well, that? Now, in some states, the local governments can say it's all or nothing. So that even if they're not the builder of it, but only for video, I think. No. Isn't that right? I, I think they can only require build out for video from under franchising. Well, it's not a franchise agreement. It, they can make it so miserable to get right aways and everything else that it, they can effectively keep you out if they really want to do it. So, well, they would be inviting a 253 lawsuit and since section 253 of the 96 Act, which is actually um, right now uh, just so happens that um, Mediacom is, uh, um, I don't know if it's in front of the FCC or what, but Mediacom is challenging some Iowa cities and maybe one other place. There's another challenge that, um, that what you're, what you're saying, Doug, um, may be found to be violating the. Well, no, and, and I can see Mediacom challenging that a little ISP is not going to challenge that. It's too expensive to go through that legal process. So. Yep. But anyway, let me ask Kim, you, what you said, I 100% agree with. I mean, that's why you're on the show, because uh, you know, <laughs> we're very similar here. <laughs> the, um, um, does a permanent subsidy program change that in that um, I would not expect um, a 60% in low-income neighborhoods under the current with just the 30 or $40 subsidy, but um, certainly more than 5% coming forward? I mean, you never know. I, I, I am open to saying that is could be a solution. I think that we need to, this goes into my belief that we need to get rid of the Lifeline program and look at um, the EBB as more of a permanent solution because I think that we need better broadband in some of these low income neighborhoods to remove, get people out of systematic poverty. And you're not gonna do that with like a 10-2 solution or whatever the Lifeline program is right now. So I, I, I think that it's a combination. I think it's infrastructure and a subsidy program uh, personally. Well, my only problem with that, because I completely agree, but I think my only problem with that is EBB is only going to be as good as administrations stay in who want to keep it because of change in administration, and that's going to be one of the things on the chopping block. So I don't know how you build a business plan that's mm -hmm. going to take 20 years to pay for when you can't count on that money being there for 20 years. <clears throat> that's, so I think there's another solution, which is, <clears throat> and I'm helping some cities right now to take their, their, their current um, – ARPA money and actually build the fiber to those neighborhoods and hand it off to the hand it off to MetroNet. Say, here, I built it for you. Now you have everybody. So, you know, right now is a one time opportunity to build those neighborhoods. But th that's this isn't going to last forever. So, Doug, um, you are making sure that any city or county that you're working with on that is on our big list of of ARPA broadband. I just saw your big list yesterday. So, yes, we'll have to take actual look at that here at some point. Yes. Yeah, Rye, uh, my colleague Rye in Jericho are, uh, have, are trying to compile every instance in the United States where uh, rescue plan dollars are being used for broadband. So anyone, I think, you, I think you're incredibly massively short right now. <laughs> well, my, the challenge is trying to find them all. So we're, we're super hopeful. Too, Chris, yeah. I looked at that. I actually read your stuff occasionally that you put out. <laughs> Yeah, by you, you mean the plural you, because I, I just exist to be a pretty face at this point. I don't, my, my fingers are, my fingers don't get much typing in anymore. Wow, that's an interesting job description. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Travis was the one that charmed people. I, 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 uh, 
Now, Travis, you have a firm commitment out of uh, local pride and local boosterism that you want to serve every last home in Minneapolis. But when you start building out multiple NFL cities uh, in your retirement, uh, are you going to be going to every last address? Like, how, how do you see that moving forward? Well, I guess the way I look at it is every area, it's, it's just about adoption. And it's really about the adoption rate. Even, even our areas that are the most challenging, we get reasonable good adoption. It just takes <coughs> five years to get reasonably good adoption. So the way our financial model works is if we take an area that we think um, is going to take a while to, for the ROI, I break it up into pieces. So usually I try to do like 20% one year, 20% the following year. And I just do a little bit over time. So by the time we get the area fully built, you know, our, our, we're, we're still sitting at a reasonable adoption rate. I'm not, I am not at by any means in the model of hoping that there's some magical government program that we somehow will fall into by some miracle where we get free money. I mean, I'm just figuring out how do we make a business model work. And the only way to do it is to go kind of slow. And actually, you know, when you talk about redlining, I, I'm always, you always forget, though, there's two sides of this equation. You have the incredibly wealthy neighborhoods, too, are even worse than the incredibly you know financially challenged neighborhoods and so you know we we build out both at neighborhoods very you know more slowly than we would kind of that middle market neighborhood say a little bit more about that for people who aren't familiar well everyone thinks this is just you know i don't know what the correct term these days is but uh so uh, economically challenged neighborhoods but really your worst uptake is in you know the huge multi-million dollar mansions because to save $20 a month or to go a little bit faster, they don't even care. Usually those people are a little bit older. They're indoctrinated into linear cable television, which is hard to unprogram them. From. And they don't want to go through the hassle because you have to bore through, you know, a mile worth of petunias to get to their house, right? You know, and, then they, and, the, and they don't want you hitting their sprinkler system and all these other things. If you do, you get a call from the city yeah. council member. But I've never once heard anyone complain about us redlining the wealthy neighborhoods. But it's happening. You know, we're, we're, we're organic, you know, we're growing out and the, um, you know, the economically challenged neighborhoods, we're going, re, you know, we're going at a nice clip, but a little more slowly. And the incredible, the, the rich folk, I guess what we used to call them when I was a kid, you know, we're going just as slow through those neighborhoods as well. Yeah, and the five percent you threw out, I mean, Travis is right. I mean, even even in the worst neighborhoods of most cities, you're gonna get forty to fifty percent over time. I mean that's well, just Wilson, the reality. Wilson, I mean, Wilson, North Carolina's hardest neighborhoods they've said are about five percent or were five percent before they de developed specialized programs to really try to help out there. So right. it it can happen. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's 5% was just a number I threw out there. Even in our lowest areas, we're seeing much more than 5%. But one thing that I think is interesting, Travis, um, here in Utah, we are actually seeing a higher adoption rate for 65 plus than we are. Yeah, and I don't know if it's that we have a highly tech, tech scene here in Utah at this point, so people are more used to cord cutting and whatnot, but we get only about 5% of our uh, customers who come on who get a video service. So most of the people are using like YouTube. Oh, that's, okay. that's interesting. It's up here. You know, you, you talk, you knock on the door and the person has a Motorola flip phone and you hear the AM radio. <laughs> the and there's like a stack of newspapers in the corner. You're like, oh, great. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not, that's not your customer, but uh, that is changing. And actually with the advent of, you know, now that, now that we have such good streaming options, we try to really educate people that we can help them get smart TVs and stream television shows. 
but there's just a certain segment of society we run into that they're used to the remote control they've had for the last 20 years. They know what channels they are to tune to their show and we'll never get them. So it's just, it's just the way it is, but we will get them eventually because eventually they'll move out to a senior center. <laughs> Nobody knew we'll move in. Well, this is, I was having a conversation today with a guy. We don't really even know what our maximum penetration rate is. We're still getting new customers in our very first areas we put in in 2010. It's amazing to me. So what is the, it's, it's just, it's all about time. You know, how long you have till that area becomes, um, you get enough subscribers to offset the debt. But again, the debt's so cheap now. I mean, damn banks are giving money away for next to nothing. Now's the best time to build these networks. And I'm certainly not waiting for some government program to do it. We're building like crazy. Well, that, that seems that's like just, a, that's just me. You know, that seems like a, a pretty good place to ask if there's any last points or last things. Um, I want to. I want to know what you said at the beginning about Travis had something for us. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, so I have been so tired of Kim and John not only being the beauty of our show, but also the brains, Chris. I mean, you and I have been like lagging well behind. So as we all know, the lovely Kim has the best collection of glasses in the world. So I have one up her with a even bigger pair. So. <laughs> So, and our buddy Doug. Oh shoot, where's my Doug here? Oh, Doug. <laughs> All right. So I have one for both of you. Now I don't. You know, know what? In this case, I'm glad that you're on the big picture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Screen cap. Well, yeah, of course you know. You know now. You have to wear this to every episode. Well, so. and I spent a, a total of twelve dollars. Thanks Amazon for you know getting that here. So yes. And can this we just is... get the thumbnail for the? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they've been sitting here you, you guys were on like every week, and then it all of a sudden stopped. So I've been sitting here staring at him for a month, waiting. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like you hot glued some uh, some like uh, the the ear supports on a pair of of uh, butterfly wings. There. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, and, and imagine my big giant watermelon head trying to get a pair that fit. You know that wasn't exactly. <laughs> There's like this four different pairs like yeah, on this exactly. kitchen table. Yeah, they hurt so bad. But I will say, Kim, I'm slightly disappointed. You went with your small pair today, didn't you? Um, I have a few um, I ordered. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. I left a couple in a hotel room a couple weeks ago. Oh, so, no. you know. Not a story. Okay, Doug, do tell. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else liked the glasses, too. All right. So. <laughs> Kim, were you going to say something separate? Um, no, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Like dress up costume, but I do expect that the next time we're on that you wear it the whole time. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have oh, a yeah. candidate at my house now, apparently. So yes, I'll wear it. Yeah. The next time could very well be in Indiana. Um, so <laughs> we'll hey, see. Should we try that? Should we try doing LTE from the road? Yeah. We've done that one other time in one of the early shows, I think. Has so. anyone else noticed? That there's not a lot of 5G. Conf the new 5G is now Starlink. You know that seems like ever that's the new messiah now. When does fiber get its turn, Doug? You know. Well, I think I think the fiber gets its turn when they actually give out 43 million billion for grants. So. Okay. The I think some of the wireless folks would say fiber is getting its time. I think the fixed wireless folks are really frustrated at how much right. the conversation has turned toward fiber. 
So, right. um, yeah, so there's, no, is, there's no rural county who goes, boy, let's go get fixed wireless now. <laughs> no one's having that okay, conversation. Good, good. They, might, they're, they're, they might not be saying that, but they're doing it. Um, well, they're doing it, but they're not yeah. having that. But that's not what they're talking about. Yeah. So, I, like, so. I like Scott answers here. Fiber had its turn 20 years ago. You know what? I agree. Why are we still talking about 5G, 6G, or 9G? More fiber. Supposed to be well, good. they just did put a, a small cell tower up like a block from my house, so now I can get 5G soon. So, oh. yeah, are, are, are you is that huge competition? T-Mobile with wireless come to compete with you guys at all in Utah? Uh, I mean, we we like the wireless carriers, but it is not really a competition to us. No. Well, Travis, how's it? we we had a, uh, a story in the Star Tribune? I think was it Eric Roper, a reporter? He talked to you, didn't he, about it? And have you seen any South Minneapolis conversions to? This has been multiple months now since uh, Verizon and T-Mobile are no, supposedly doing I, stuff, right? I will admit it though, we lost one customer to CenturyLink last week. I can't even believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, I hang my head in shame. I have well, no idea how this happened. Why did they switch? Well, maybe maybe they got a job at, at CenturyLink. Let's I, go I, with that. They have not called me back yet. I am dying <laughs> to know. It is our first loss in over like 10 years, so I have no wow. idea. Yeah. <clears throat> go CenturyLink. Congratulations. Or what do they call it? Like? Lumen. Lumen? Or well, no, name? but not for long. Nope. Well, not for a, long. Yeah. They're, they're going the to question. be a new name because they got sold. Yeah. But no, so Lumen and actually, I didn't realize the CenturyLink is still a brand in some areas, right? Lumen some is areas. the is the enterprise mm-hmm. service and the fiber and to the, the fiber, home service. The fiber to the home service. They're keeping right. CenturyLink on the DSL. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. so. Yep. I guess you're not that charming after all, Travis. If you uh, lost, you know, I try. I'm out of practice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going to assume that you have like twenty thousand units that are competing with CenturyLink fiber. They don't have. They don't. The Lumen or the CenturyLink fiber is not everywhere that you are but it's probably an overlap of what tens of thousands of customers? oh yeah well and what's interesting is not to get too nerdy but um and we never talk about it but CenturyLink's peering arrangements out of minneapolis are terrible so somebody switched from CenturyLink uh to us and they they got like 90 sec- 90 millisecond less you know in their ping time so it's crazy you think that these big companies would really have it together but not so much no. I guess I got to go into my, my building and do some speed tests um, to see what my pings are before uh, I get myself some USI fiber in there. In our oh, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gangster. Let's do it. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we have a long-term contract, so we'll probably have both for a while. So we yeah, can. You can try it and see what you think. <laughs> yeah. Are you getting USI fiber? In yeah. the office. We were just, yeah, ah. we just dug in front. We dug. We dug <laughs> in front of um, his building. So we're installing as we speak. So now I got to go back to my office. I believe he's going to make sure the rule is that everyone gets it XP until you buy the wings. Yes, so. that's what I was saying. You have to pay for the service and buy the wings. Right? You think we're married? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris, I have some expectations on our next date. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might have reached the end of the road with that comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, if this will come through. Let's see here. Um, oh yes. Yeah. I'm down. No, no, no. You need some nine uh, G or whatever they're coming out with next. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Well, okay, thank so, you. Hang on. 
I think we should well, commend Scott as our number one commenter in this whole show here. Look at this. Scott crushed it. Um, yeah. I'm not. I, so I'm not so sure that this is the best time slot for us, Doug. So you're going to have to tell your clients that you're. Oh, uh, that was last minute. I'm, it is not. I agree. This, that was unusual. So did we get yeah. two viewers or what? Um, I think the viewers may have largely been my staff, which means they're half asleep uh, at this point because I work them to death. So, <laughs> but we have Scott and there's uh, Mike Williams is here. Uh, there's a few others I'm sure that were in and out. So, um, but you know, this is my fault. Like we have not had regular shows. We're going to try and get back in. Um, I've got several show ideas. Now I just got to actually pull the client, the, the, the people together. Thank you, Doug and Kim for always being ready to come on. Um, we are going to try and, um, just not rely on you two all the time. So, um, we are. Um, we can't have Kim back till she gets the bigger glasses back. Yeah, so just yeah. make sure to check with her first. So. Yeah, I'll give you my <laughs> tracking number when they're coming. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like if I have Kim on too many times, we are likely to have a uh, problem with Roger, who is <laughs> trying to make sure Kim is getting those eighty hours a weekend. Yeah. yeah, we don't care about Roger. I think he was supposed to watch, and he didn't even join, did he? Gosh, what a great We walk. do have, I have a screen cap in my employee chat uh, from Sean of, uh, of Travis with the glasses on. So we're good there. <laughs> okay, good. Hold on. I'm happy to humiliate myself anytime. <laughs> that makes this show this, work. This show, yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for, for, for joining us. Thank you for those who are watching uh, later on. Uh, this has been uh, the first of what I'm thinking of as season two of connect this where it only gets better thanks to rye and henry for operating behind the scenes uh thank you so much to travis who uh, continues to be the best co-host ever thank you to kim and doug who are the the best recurring panelists and uh and i'm gonna try and do a better job because i always <laughs> feel like i'm being carried along by these folks it's um you're amazing it's been you're fun. you know it good job buddy we are gonna be back and uh we'll announce more shows on social media so thank you all Thank you.